Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, verses 1 to 3. I'd like to back up just a little bit for the reading, 1139. And these all, named and unnamed Old Testament saints, Hebrews chapter 11, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made complete, should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Father, this morning we are so thankful for such a rich Christological emphasis, for such a rich Christological text. And we pray today that you would give us help in both the communication and in the reception of this rich scripture of emphasis concerning Christ as to his person, and Christ as to his work, and Christ as to the very best example of living and enduring faith among men. And for that we will praise you, for we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. The Apostle Paul said to the Colossians, As ye therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Paul's idea of the Christian life was all about Christ. The Apostle John said to the saints at the close of the first century concerning Christ, He that abideth in him, Christ, ought himself also so to walk as he walked, Christ. Living on earth after the pattern of our Lord is the standard of the believer's life. That said, it is important for us, in light of some of the errors of this particular day, to be very clear in the way we say a thing. And when it comes to the death of Christ, we must say this. Christ died for our sins. 
That's it. When we teach the biblical doctrine of justification, we are not interested in teaching the biblical doctrine of justification under the banner that Christ died as a symbol of sacrifice. Oh, much more than a symbol. He met the legal standard of Almighty God on my behalf and yours concerning sin. Christ died for our sins. And along that same vein, we are not interested in ever saying that Christ died only as an example of a life well lived. Christ died for our sins. All that said... Christ yet is, according to Hebrews chapter 12, the very best example of living and enduring faith you and I can ever consider. And it brings to bear the legitimacy of some of the gospel songs we sing, like, I would be like Jesus. Be like Jesus, this my song in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. Living Christ is the true life of the Christian. The capstone of living and enduring faith, as presented here in Hebrews, is not ultimately found in the earthly life of Abel or Enoch or Noah as previously mentioned and studied. Uh, Neither is it found in the life of Abraham or Moses or any of the other notables referenced in Hebrews 11, both those named and those unnamed. The capstone of living faith on earth is ultimately found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. That is exactly why, when we began our study in the book of Hebrews almost a year ago now, we chose for our closing chorus, let's talk about Jesus. Because in Hebrews chapter 12, you have the let's talk about Jesus moment. This is the moment when the author, after being prompted by the Spirit of God to remind us of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Moses, and Abraham, and a host of other Old Testament saints, both those named and unnamed, says, Now, let's talk about Jesus. Because when you're dealing with the subject of living and enduring faith, there is no better human example than Christ himself. That said, don't be confused. And please don't leave this hour saying, that in any way I've said to you that the death of Christ was, was enacted for the sake of a good example, because I'm telling you much more than that. Without the death of Christ, we would yet be in our sins. But understanding the great doctrine of justification, you and I do indeed join, and I would say enthusiastically, the writer of Hebrews, in saying, hey, let's talk about Jesus now. Let's talk about the Lord Jesus. Let's talk about his earthly track, and how it is that we walk in, or as it were, after the pattern that he has established for us. It is somewhat striking to study this text and to see uh, that the grammatical structure uh, defies 
the common reading of the text in English, at least to some degree. I, I would be willing to say that I could, I could take this text and bring it cold uh, to anybody in the congregation, uh, having not recently studied it, and read you verses 1, 2, 3 uh, in Hebrews 12, and say to you, what is the command here? What is the imperative here? And, uh, and I would be surprised if there were more than one or two, if one or two, that would identify upon first reading in the English text uh, the command here. The only command in Hebrews 12, 1, 2, and 3 is found in verse 3, and it's the word consider. Now, the thing that's interesting about that is that uh, uh, usually our minds would go to something like looking for Jesus or looking to Jesus. Or maybe in the first verse, running with patience. And although those phrases impact dynamically the way the core command is to be implemented, the command of God in this portion is found in the word consider. And that imperative means to ponder, to think deliberately, to meditate upon. The earthly life of Christ is to be, according to verse 3, our constant contemplation. As we live our earthly lives of trust and obey. After giving us the names and references to unnamed characters of the Old Testament era that lived the life of trust and obey, but we know not perfectly, Hebrews 11. Now in Hebrews 12, we're given the name which is above all names, the only name that ever lived the life of trust and obey perfectly. And that, of course, would be Christ. And so... Hebrews 12 says, in essence, hey, let's talk about Jesus. Let's make this our talking point, our emphasis point. And the key imperative here is to ponder, to think deliberately, to meditate upon the person and the work and the lively sojourn of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, the word endured, verse 3, for consider him that endured, is the same root word as that translated patience, run with patience, verse 1. So not only is the imperative uh, focused upon contemplation of Christ, but then that contemplation of Christ is connected to uh, the activity of the believer's earthly uh, sojourn. The believer's endurance of faith is to parallel the perfect expression of faith seen in the earthly life of Christ on the mission of our salvation. The Lord Jesus is herein declared to be the author and the finisher of our faith. That betrayal of Christ parallels the revelation of him in the Revelation, last book of the Bible, as the Alpha and Omega. Alpha, first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega, last letter of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the end. Christ is the Alpha 
and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And the words author and finisher uh, in relationship to faith are interesting because the fact is that the word translated author here is archegon, which could also be translated prince, which could also be translated pioneer. Someone that is first and foremost the pioneer or the prince, the top of the list. And indeed, after walking through uh, the uh, hall of faith, which we said is more a call of faith uh, to the believer to be exercised during the days of his earthly sojourn, uh, now uh, the Spirit of God moves uh, uh, the Hebrew writer uh, to give us this focus upon uh, the prince of faith, the pioneer of faith. When it comes to faith, he who is first and foremost on earth, Christ. And not just the prince and the pioneer of it, the first of it, the beginning of it, the alpha of it, but the perfecter of it, the finisher of it, the completer of it, or if you will, the beginning of faith and the ending of faith. If you will, the alpha of faith and the omega of faith, Jesus Christ. God the Son become man is the originator of living and enduring faith. And he is the very one that brings our faith to its determined end in himself. When does faith end for me and you? Answer, when we see Jesus. Seeing him, the object of our faith, is the end of our faith. And so he is the pioneer and the perfecter, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the ending of our faith. Now, four elements of Christ's earthly life and accomplishment at the cross are set forth in verse 2, each of which parallels a facet of our earthly sojourn, as we will see today in the end of this hour. But note the four. We've taken verse 3 many times out of its context to deal with it individually. I'm sorry, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Four things in that verse concerning the experience of Christ on earth. Number one, joy. The joy of the Father's pleasure and the joy of the salvation of lost people was set before Christ in his first advent mission. He rightly anticipated. And he lived anticipating and ministering leading up to the crucifixion with that goal in mind. Christ lived on earth so as to glorify God. Christ lived on earth so as to save us by his sacrificial death. Jesus had joy in the prospects of an earthly life set before him in the plan of God. Jesus had joy while on earth in the prospect of accomplishments made on earth with eternity's values in view. 
And note, please, what was set before him, who for the joy that was set before him, and then take those words, set before, and move them right up to the end of verse 1, the race that is set before us. Christ had joy set before him. It was the joy of the pleasure of God. It was the joy of salvation complete. Uh, He had that set before him. That was the banner under which he lived his earthly life. And you and I are, in this passage, being given the overview of what God has set before us, even as God the Father had set before Christ salvation's message and mission. It's, it's a beautiful parallel, set before and set before. The word endurance, we already point out there's a connection. Jesus dwelt under faithfully even the horrors of crucifixion on the cross. Likewise, we in this passage are encouraged to endure faithfully in the will of God. His endurance will be used to commend our enduring. Third thing here in verse 2, shame. Christ suffered at the hands of men who hated him. Christ suffered at the hands of men that loved him. All the disciples before the cross abandoned their Lord. Did they stop loving him? No, that's why Peter wept. Peter knew he wasn't right. Peter knew he did the wrong thing. But just like you and just like me at times, he did the wrong thing anyhow. And the Lord on earth was hurt by those that hated him. And the Lord was hurt by those that loved him. And by the way, that is the normal experience in a local church. Of course you'll be bothered by the people you know that hate you. But you will also be bothered at times by the people that you know love you. And hurt is hurt no matter where it comes from. And the Lord was enduring, though hated, and enduring, though loved. Because whether he was hated or whether he was loved, it did not remove the shame associated with the nakedness on the cross. But above all else, Christ suffered at the hands of God the Father who loved him most and yet poured out his wrath on the sinless one for our sins. Christ endured that. And his endurance is going to be used in this passage of Scripture to commend our enduring. And then the last thing, of course, is exaltation. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The promised reward for Christ began with burial in a rich man's tomb, followed by resurrection and then ascension. He is now seated, as the text says, at the right hand of God. This pattern of earthly suffering on the way to a promised glory is the way of 
Christ. Listen again. This pattern of suffering on the way to a promised glory is the way of Christ. And thereby, it is the way of the Christian. This is proof that our thoughts and our talk must ever be and always be about the Lord Jesus. Much more than the best example. But he is the best example of faith from birth until his sacrificial death for our sins. And so picking up on the key and core command, verse 3, consider him, consider Christ, meditate on Christ, contemplate Christ, continually contemplate Christ. And now with that core uh, command uh, well in hand, I point you to uh, three uh, 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 participles. Uh, the command, the imperative, consider. And then there's three participles. And the three participles connect to the command. And the participles are, by the way, in English, participles are words that have ing on the end, I-N-G. And sometimes at least one of the, these words do, but two of the words don't. And uh, so if I were to do the T.W. Teal translation from the Greek New Testament, I'd make sure that we had ing. Uh, added to these three words so that the grammar was a little more clear. But uh, uh, look at verse 1, and, uh, and the first participle is laying. Let us lay aside. Laying aside. Para, uh, participle number 1. Uh, the second participle is run. Let us run and run and run and run. Running. Laying. Running. And then verse 2, obvious, looking. And so here's the command. Consider, contemplate Christ continually. And do it regarding the added action of laying and running and looking. Laying aside, specifically laying aside the weight, and the sin that easily besets or encumbers or causes one to stumble. Both the word weight and sin are in the singular. We are not told to cast off our many weights or many sins, but the weight that might encumber us or the sin of the natural man, we would say, our sin bent, uh, the, 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 the nature with which we were born. We must not run. We must not live. We must not seek to obey in the flesh, even as we live in the body. Those physically running do, and those spiritually running should, divest themselves of all weight. And in the case of the spiritual thing, it's not only the weight that might encumber you, might even be a good thing, turn bad, but of course the sin nature, which is always a problem for me and which is always a problem for you. That's why when you get nasty, your wife might call you your dad's name 
Or when you get nasty, you might call your wife her mother's name because sin nature has been inherited. And sometimes you act like the old gal. And sometimes you act like the old man. Don't you now? Laying aside participle number one. Number two, running. As in keep running and running as does the energizing bunny. The clear implication here is for a steadfast pace and staying in the rhythm of the run. Too fast, and you'll burn out. Too slow, and you will not even finish before the official race is over. Many of God's people die before they're done. Don't be one of them. Don't be one of those people who end up dying before they're done. All believers should have a dogged resolve to finish life well. And the only way to finish life well is to be done with every God-assigned task. You might not think you're done when God knows you're done, but you live well if you live to finish every God-assigned task. And the last participle, grammatically, of course, is looking. Heads up, eyes forward is good advice for any runner. And in this case of faith, it is the eyes fixed and focused upon Christ for the reasons that have been previously extolled. So in summary, here is the practical thrust of the passage as depicted. Stripping away all weight, running with dogged resolve, with eyes fixed on Jesus, you and I will do well in the days of earthly sojourn. One more time. Here's the summary. Stripping away all weight, running with dogged resolve, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, you and I will do well in the days of earthly sojourn. That, of course, then brings us to the very illustrative description of this race. God's illustration here underscores some logical assertions about the earthly life not to be ignored. There are some things here, by way of big picture perspective, that you should never miss. The first thing that is found in this description of an assigned race, a set race course, is the truth that life is linear, not cyclic. So much of modern influence in our world is Eastern mystical. It's the world of yin-yang. It's the world of what goes around, comes around. It's the world of karma. It's the world of you do nice to people, so they do nice to you. It's the world of Eastern mysticism. It's life lived on the wheel. It's life lived on the circle. That is not how the Bible describes life. The Bible describes all created life as beginning 
and ending as God designed. The Bible says concerning individual life, as we'll study next in our teen and adult study on Sunday night in educational hour over the summer, there is a time to be born and there's a time to die. Life is on the line. There's a day you begin and there's a day you're done. Life is linear, not cyclic. You ought to, by God's own demand, give frequent thought to where you are, as best you can tell, on Lifeline. Teach us to number our days, said Moses in the Psalms that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Do you know what time it is? In your life, life is linear. It's lived from beginning to the end as God has determined it. We read in the beginning of Genesis and of the end in the Revelation. History is moving to its designed culmination point. And you and I are wise to be reminded that life is linear. In this case, the illustration is of a marathon, not a sprint, but the marathon is running along a set course, a set race. When you're running cross-country, Levi, you can't just run anywhere you want to. You can run that way when you're practicing, but not when you race. And God is the course designer, and the race that we live before God is to be run by God's design, linear. Secondly, life in both its macro and micro sense is laid out, designed, as we said, planned by God. There is a will of God laid out in the Word of God for all of us. And then there is, as we apply that Word of God to all of us, that we find God's steerings and promptings for the life laid out for us in the design of God's will for us uh, individually. With the big picture determined by the word of God itself, the small picture of life's implication in the will of God becomes clear for each of us. But life is laid out for us by God. And the third truth here, under the idea of the description of this race, has to do with the fact that life on earth is laborious. All humanity struggles with the sinful flesh and the world to some degree. Yesterday, there was a group of people lined up at a business to get in when they first opened. Somebody cut in line, and so the guy that was cut in front of pulled out his gun and shot the guy. That was one of two or three shootings in the greater Grand Rapids metro area yesterday. I'm telling you, it's, it'd be crazy around here. Anywhere you go, you could be shot. People that don't know God struggle with their flesh. People that don't know God struggle with other people in the world. They're cut in line and stuff like that. All humanity, including you and me, struggle with the sinful flesh and the world to some degree, but the believer also endures 
the opposition of the adversary of the soul. It's harder to be a Christian than to be an unsaved dog. We must all learn to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Our teens know, I tease them all the time about running because a number of them do, and I ask them why they do that. Personally, I don't run at all anymore. I don't run. Even if somebody's chasing me, I say, go ahead, catch me. I don't care. I don't run anymore. Sometimes I walk swift, but I don't run anymore. But I tell you this, running is indeed by nature of running laborious. Even the most healthy person in all the world, when they've finished running a mile at their best pace and speed, will sound like this. Why is that? Well, because you can be in great health, but running is laborious. And life is laborious. All of life is lived with opposition. And only in the strength of the Lord do we live a conquering life or a life of victory in relationship to that opposition. Many a sermon has speculated on the meaning of the descriptive words compassed about. 12.1 Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Many sermons describe the Colosseum-like scene where runners would run before the eyes of the crowd, causing people to think and speak of those like Moses or David or Abel or Enoch or Noah or Leora, that'd be my mother, uh, looking down and cheering from heaven uh, believers that are still in the race on earth. Our men's chorus, uh, the last time we sang a number of songs, we, we sang a song that uh, made a general reference that kind of implied that idea that we were being watched as we, uh, as we run our race. And there's no doubt we're being watched because God sees all. That said... Uh, this text should not be viewed as a proof text for the fact that you and I are on the floor of the Colosseum and that there are heavenly saints sitting in the stands uh, cheering us on. Uh, the cloud of witnesses here, as referenced in the Greek, most literally translates, quote, lying around us. So I'm saying, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about or surrounded by those lying around us. And it is a reference back to what happened in Hebrews chapter 11. The cloud of witnesses are laying around us, are lying around us in graveyards. They are dead, like Abel, Enoch, 
Noah. They do encourage us in the way in which Hebrews 11 spoke of Abel's blood speaking to us by way of testimony. They who have gone before us speak to us of living faith, enduring faith. Back in Hebrews 10, we studied a similar thought where New Testament saints are said to be companions with those that were mistreated in days long gone because of their mutual expression of faith during the days of their earthly sojourn. That text, Hebrews 10, says that, in a sense, Moses looks at me as a companion, even though he hasn't met me yet, and that I can look at Moses as a companion, even though I haven't met him yet. And here in Hebrews 11, it's not a proof text for departed saints looking down on us and, uh, and uh, evaluating the aspect of our, of our trek, but it is indeed the reminder of the blessed testimony finished in many, many individuals now over the course of 2,000 plus years in the church age and Old Testament saints before that who trusted the Lord, who obeyed the Lord, and who died in the faith. Living and enduring faith. That brings us to the denotation that I quickly reference in conclusion. Living and enduring faith is on display in the broader portion of Scripture, looking back, looking to Jesus, looking ahead. So think about a pyramid that we use to describe the triune God, a pyramid, and at the top of the pyramid is Jesus. Down here in this corner are the testimonies of living and enduring faith of Old Testament saints. Much greater than the testimony of any Old Testament saint is the testimony of living and enduring faith in the Lord Jesus. And now, with Jesus up there, here you and I over here on this corner of the pyramid, and we are New Testament saints living after the pattern of the Old Testament saints and living after the pattern of our Lord, trusting and obeying uh, the Lord. And that is exactly how Hebrews 11, uh, 39 and 40 is brought together uh, with the word wherefore in chapter 12 and verse 1. Profoundly, the earthly life experience of our perfect Savior laid aside the weight of self-serving and self-pleasing agenda. Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Sinless Jesus lived or ran his course on earth to the glory of God perfectly. John 17, 6, I have manifest thy name on the earth. Further, Jesus looked to the Father's word concerning him in a way similar to the way the patriarchs looked for that city whose builder and founder is God. Old Testament saints laid aside. Old Testament saints ran the race. Old Testament saints looked. Jesus laid aside. Jesus ran his race. Jesus looked to the Father's 
pleasure and salvation's accomplishment. The Old Testament saints did it, but not perfectly. Jesus did it, and as you know, perfectly. And so this passage then says simply this, based upon the pattern of life, Old Testament saints, based upon the perfections of earthly life as manifest in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you lay aside every weight. Run with endurance and look to Jesus as the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith in him. That's the only way to live the Christian life. May God help us all to understand. Father, it is from this text and meditation thereupon that we chose months and months and months ago the little chorus to end each hour. Let's talk about Jesus. Because in every way imaginable, our Savior, your Son, is before us, first and foremost, chief, pioneer, and perfecter. We who name the name of Christ would live to the honor of Christ and trust that maybe even as never before, as we sing our little chorus, that something of its practical thrust would grab our hearts and minds on this Lord's Day morning. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.